0: Welcome to Staff Talk, the new UN internet radio podcast. This is Helka Liefstotter at the UN headquarters in New York, and today we will continue our discussions on Umocha and how it impacts staff at large. With me in the studio today is Mr. Rudy Sanchez, Director of Information and Communication Technology Division within Department of Field Support. Mr. Sanchez has been instrumental in taking Umocha to the field, not a small task given the disparate geography of the missions and the nature of the field. These Umocha series are intended to raise awareness on Umocha and maybe for some staff demystify some of the issues around the project and talking to staff that are involved in it. We hope that these discussions here on Staff Talk can help staff to better understand how they will be affected as well as what they can do to prepare themselves for this change. Rudy. Welcome to our program today. Thank you. I read that uh, you're born in Cuba, but in 1965 you moved to New York, and you have a very long and impressive career within the organization, spanning over 36 years in various positions, from personnel administrator, finance officer, and to the current position as the director of information and communications. Technology Division within Department of Field Support. Given this long experience handling complex projects within the UN, this enterprise resource planning project, Umocha, is an enormous and costly undertaking for any organization seeking to make their operation more efficient. What was involved in getting Umocha off the ground in the UN?
1: First, I think it would be good to look at what the history of ERPs have been, and the fact that many Fortune 500 companies start and then abandon these projects or have to curtail them because of the complexities and the cost uh, overruns involved. For example, uh, Computer World reports that the U.S. Air Force abandoned the seven-year ERP project, losing over $1 billion because it would have had to spend billions more to make that system work. Also, The Guardian reports that, uh, in what they describe as the greatest IT disaster, the UK National Health Service scrapped its plans for a single nationwide health IT system after nine years and losing $18.7 billion. Also, we know that The Wall Street Journal has reported that Avon has uh, halted its global rollout of SAP and takes over a $100 million loss, after its Canadian pilot prompts Avon reps to quit in frustration. So what you have here is something that companies with lots of resources, lots of money, find very hard to implement. But clearly the fact that they're trying to implement and they're moving towards these products tells you that there's something very significant and powerful about these products. To me and to the UN, the Secretary General has declared that his number one imperative in it, his administrative reform agenda, is to implement the ERP. Again, the entire organization understands and is on board, and we are all pushing very hard to get this system and project done. We're doing it under lots of constraints, but we're doing it successfully, and we know that it has been implemented successfully in the field. The foundation is up and running. There's over 4,600 users to date. So we know that we have successfully launched it, we know that it's working well, but we have a long way to go. When it is fully deployed we will have about a hundred thousand users using this system in the field. So while we have a lot of people using it today, it's only going to get harder and harder as we implement the rest of it. I also should mention that SAP stands for Systems Application and Products in Data Processing, and it's a German multinational corporation, so it is a huge product that is used in lots of companies today very successfully. SAP ERP software is Umoja's engine, and the processes and systems will be employed in over 200 UN locations in 100 countries. We currently have it employed in about 35 field missions
0: hearing you talk about how difficult it is for various big corporations to establish or set up such enterprise systems. What is it that tells you that the UN is better equipped to do it?
1: Well, I can talk about the field because that's what I'm most familiar with. And I think you can almost look at us, you know, with a motto like Nike, just make it happen. And I think that that's the the mantra that we march in the field. We constantly are facing hardship, and somehow we persevere, and we do. And I think that was the attitude, the positive attitude, that we brought coming into this deployment. I think a lot of people spent a lot of time, energy, learning the system, deploying it, and supporting it in a way that it worked. And it does a marvelous job for us in what it needs to do for us now.
0: That brings me to another question, which is, What motivated you to take on this project when the General Assembly approved the selection of the Department of Field Support for the initial rollout?
1: I knew that this was going to be important for the field and for our department as a whole. While IMIS, which is our corporate system today for administration, and I think most of us have heard of IMIS, rolled out primarily to headquarters environments, uh, it had very little impact on the field. So in the field, we were using many homegrown disparate systems that have been created over the years, and while they did the job, they weren't connected together well, and they were aging. So quite frankly, we needed a solution, and we were motivated to get a solution. We realized the benefits that we would adopt and get and derive from this, and I think we saw it as the way forward. And we were very eager, and we took the challenge on, and we just went and did it. I think that's, like I said, like Nike. Just go do it, you know.
0: And you had, I guess, after 36 years uh, in, within the organization, you already implemented a number of projects, complex ones and others. And in comparison, is this project very different? I think you could
1: describe this as the mother of them all because this is huge and complex. IMIS, when we did it, and I was involved in IMIS, not actually in the IMIS, like I'm not in Umoja, but I was in the user community, and I worked hard in the Department of Management, what is now the Department of Management at the time, uh, to get it implemented and working in the Department of Management and we thought it was hard and it was really hard because at that point we had nothing and people weren't used to using computers and so we had to teach people how to use a computer before we could teach them how to use IMIS. Now you're in a different world but the fact that we had nothing and we needed something was very important for us and I think it was a motivating factor and the fact that we thought that we could do it we had an inventory system we had finance systems that had the information so it was a matter of getting that information into the umoja platform and making it work for us
0: who was involved in getting umoja off the ground who were the main players i
1: think it was a very true example of collaboration and global teamwork you can't do this alone you can't do this as one person this has to be a team. It has to be a dedicated, a motivated, and a smart team. And you need to bring in people, bring in unity, bring everybody together in the right spirit, in the right direction, and things will happen. If you have, a, And I've done many, many systems in the UN over the years, small, big, here, there, all sorts and varieties. And I found through experience that the only way to do this is to get a motivated team of people who will then help drive this and create the enthusiastic environment in the user community, in the expert community that is needed in order to make this work.
0: This is a really interesting point because uh, uh, you're saying that if you use personnel and staff in the right way, it's easier to implement things. How did you really go about it in the beginning, some best practice that you could, you know, share with us in terms of implementing such a project?
1: I think that we, as I mentioned, we have had implementations of smaller systems throughout the years. I've done many. We had many in the field. We have created a very good support structure, a multi-layered support structure, which we believe is key. It's our tier one, which is the people that come to you when you have a problem in the user base, are situated in the missions. And that, I think, is very important because when something goes wrong, you don't want to wait for three days or even one day to get the answer. You need an immediate person to come and help you. The second tier is in Brindisi. And we had a a working help desk there. And what we did is we augmented that help desk. And we brought in an additional team of people to work with us. And uh, as a result of this, we've managed to help implement it, we've managed to create a support structure, and we're now catching about 98 percent of the problems before they come to New York. Only two percent or three percent of the, what we call, tickets, which is a problem request, winds up in New York, and those tend to be system changes or things that are now. So I think we have become very effective. When we first started, it was the reverse. About 2% were being handled in the field in the first month, and the rest were coming over. So I think we learned very quickly, and we made it happen very quickly. And I think that was one of the main things. The second thing that is very important is the training. And we created a very robust training program. We have a training centers in Entebbe and in Brendisi and we leveraged those tremendously to Uh, bring people from missions, train them. We created what we call local process experts. We have over 300 of them now in the system. When we launched, we had about 80 of them. And these are the key smart people in each mission that you go to when you have a problem that is not resolvable at the help desk. So the help desk escalates to these people, they get the answer, the problems are resolved on the ground. The idea is to get as much resolved on the ground as you can, and I think that's the key to success.
0: So, in fact, you're saying that almost in these missions, there's staff that is dedicated to helping someone that is trying to try out the system for the first time. And they are there among the staff of the mission.
1: Correct. These are experts that reside in finance, in personnel, that the help desk can go to if they need assistance or answer to a, a substantive question as opposed to a technical question. Mm-hmm. And they provide that, and between the help desk and the substantive people, the questions get resolved and addressed very quickly.
0: In a way, we can say then that that is, for example, the support that you have been giving to staff in the field. But do you think that the fear that people have when such a system is implemented can be overcome by this presence of people that are knowledgeable, do you think that's the biggest sort of yeah. success in terms of diminishing fear? Because everybody fears.
1: I think being. it goes a long way, and my experience over the years has shown that if somebody, if you have a help desk that is robust in the mission with a local expert network, people's comfort level becomes much better. People relax and they know that if they have a problem, somebody will come running and help them and, and help resolve them. The worst thing is when you're trying to do a personnel transaction or a financial transaction and you get stuck and you don't know what to do, you don't know who to call, and then you say, okay, well, I have to call somebody in a remote location, right. it gets very complicated. You have time zone issues, you have all sorts of issues. So I think that we have found over the years that this goes a long way to making people comfortable and ensuring the success of the implementation, which is what we want to do.
0: Do you feel that there are a number of lessons learned from the field that both have been sold? And are there lessons learned that will be coupled or produced to uh, implement here at headquarters? Are there some banks of information that are kind of shared?
1: We were the pioneers, and we went through the pain. And I think that we derived many lessons. And as a result of our work, we have made modifications to the system. We have created training programs, which are structured. We have created help desks. We have how-to answers, so when somebody calls, you know exactly what to tell them, and you give them the right answer, which is very important. I think that now, as, as you may have heard, we want to, or the Department of Management is looking to centralize some of the executive office transactional functions. Well, we have done that already in our service center in Entebbe, and so therefore there's many lessons that can be derived from that experience. We've had Entebbe for about three and a half years. We went through the pain of doing this, and we now have about 350 people working in Entebbe in the processing area, so it's a quite impressive and large operation. But I think as a result of having matured an operation that is so large and so extreme and so similar to what we're doing in Umoja in New York, because the functions are the same, it's finance, it's finance, it's the same, So, and it's personnel and it's personnel and it's the same. So therefore, I think there's a lot to learn from that. The additional thing is we have, as I said, about 300 local process experts. We have a large help desk. These individuals can be used for training. They can be used as support when the system goes live. So we have a large group of people that will help do this right in New York in the OAHs and other places where it's going in.
0: Because of your experience, I just want to ask this question. Uh, do you think that the problems that were occurring during the implementation in the field, and are maybe occurring still, were more related to technical issues, or were they more related to basically human issues, which is you know, changing work ethics and ways of doing things?
1: I think the product, when we put it in, the foundation as it's called, was not 100% ready. And clearly, anytime you put in a new system, there are things that you forgot, you missed, bugs, whatever. And so we went through that and we managed to fix and to change and to modify that. So what you're getting now in the release that is called UE1 in New York as well as in the OAHs and other places is a very mature product that has been debugged, works extremely well. And so you won't have the pain that we had in the field in those aspects. And that makes it a lot simpler because all you have to deal with then is primarily the training and the user experience. And if you can get that right, you'll be fine.
0: In the long term, what do you see as Umoja's biggest contribution to the organization? How has it changed the work of DFS staff in the field?
1: Overall, Umoja helps us run smarter. It streamlines the operation where it really simplifies things. You now have a common central database and processes that replicate the legacy systems but are all in one. You have better real-time business intelligence and you get a management dashboard that goes along with that that will provide a lot of very useful information. What's most useful for the staff and I think what they will appreciate and notice the most is self-service where now you have to fill out a form You have to send it into your HR office, your finance office for processing. You'll be able to go into a computer somewhere, anywhere in the world, and you'll be able to self-service your transactions. And that I think people will really like. You have this remote access feature that I mentioned, and you'll be able to use this not only in an office environment, but log in from home, log in from remote locations. And I think people will appreciate that because it will enable you to work more efficiently and more effectively uh, particularly during non-office hours if whenever you need to do some transaction which in the field is quite often perhaps in a headquarters environment not as much but in the field it's it's quite often i think that uh, there's been lessons learned of course from the deployment and those lessons the creation of a yomoja academy for example that was done after we realized that training is vital and we needed to institutionalize that the LPEs that are being trained in advance of the rollouts. When we started, we did it simultaneously. Now we're going to have the LPEs ready for the rollout in New York, and that's a huge improvement, and you'll see a huge benefit from that. And
0: an LP? What's that?
1: A local process expert. Like I said, there about 300 in place now and those can be leveraged and they will be leveraged in order to support the organization as a whole as we roll out and we get people more comfortable. The other thing is, as I mentioned, we have ongoing training programs and we have invited people from the OAHs and headquarters to come to our training programs and so we have begun through this to create a cadre or people around the world that are able to start to understand and know Umoja better and to become local process experts in the process. And there's a lot of people out there that now have a lot of knowledge about the product. When we started rolling it out, wasn't so.
0: Are these jobs, are these local experts in a way new jobs, really? Or are the people who have transferred into those type of functions?
1: I think in, if you parallel that to our existing system, such as IMAS, you always had experts. There's always two or three people in an office that become experts. Because of moja size and depth and scope, you're going to have many more people. But this is not your full-time job. You are a personnel clerk, a personnel assistant, a finance assistant or officer, and you'll do this on a part-time basis. This is going to be part of your job, maybe the interesting part of your job, because Quite often people see HR and finance as boring transactional work. But, you know, to actually do some things good and help people and be able to answer questions and be smart I think is a good thing. And the idea is to create as many local process experts as possible. We're not limiting it to a number. We're going to have a continuous program of learning. And if everybody could become a local process expert, my job in IT would be done, and I could go home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, in fact, I you know, there is also, I can sense how positive you are, and I've heard that about you, and I'll allow myself to say that. Thank you. Therefore, it brings to mind, are you over-optimistic?
1: I am cautiously optimistic. People who know me say that I'm very optimistic. I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy. Uh, and I'm always optimistic, and I'm always have the right attitude in order to make things happen.
0: And you believe that this and is. And I going believe
1: to be- that with the right work, and this is not going to be easy, there's a lot of work involved, but I think we can do it. And just like we did it in the field, we can do it in New York, in the OEHs, and other places that it needs to be done. And we will implement the rest of the product in the field missions, which also will take place at the same time or around the same period.
0: I would like to thank you for this moment with us here My in pleasure. the studio and wish you and your teams, you know, continued success. You can find complete interview at umocha.un.org, United Nations umocha YouTube channel, the umocha community on Unite Connections or on iTunes. We are looking forward to your comments on this podcast. Please visit UN Internet IC this was our staff talk, UN Internet Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Helka. Have a great day.